Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. I'd like to personally thank everyone who uh, signed up, came on board on Patreon last week as a result of my talking about that. I got um, some new supporters and that was really great. I'd love to push it up over a hundred. So those of you out there who are still interested and educated and, and entertained by my channel, please consider doing that and becoming a part of that. And also, of course, um, I received some other great donations through PayPal and, and otherwise. So again, Thank you very much, everybody. I really appreciate it. And I just wanted you to know that I definitely noticed and it definitely helps. So I've chosen some questions this week. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Anonymous. I was reading the Technical Dictionary of Dynetics and Scientology and found it fascinating. For non-Scientologists, it offers an inside look into the pseudo-scientific and pseudo-military language of the cult. The dictionary defines the C organization as an organization which functions at a high level of confront and standard. Its purpose is to get ethics in on the planet and eventually the universe. The dictionary further states in the definition of ethics that when one is ethical or has his ethics in, it is by his own determination and is done by himself. If, according to Hubbard, one can be ethical only by doing so himself, how can the Sea Org get ethics in on the universe? Doesn't this imply forcing Scientology ethics on everybody? This makes it sound like the purpose of the Sea Org is world domination. As a Sea Org member, how were you taught to understand the phrase, get ethics in? Presumably, this is a very important concept for Sea Org members, as it is the stated purpose of the organization. You've actually hit on a very, very good question here and a good point. The original purpose of the Sea Org did change. Uh, originally, in 1967, when it was founded, Hubbard said that the purpose was to get ethics in on the planet and the universe, as you read. He changed that a few years later after saying that they had done such a wonderful job doing that, that its new purpose was to get in the exact degree of Scientology ethics, technology, and administration on the planet as a whole. In other words, bring the full you know, brunt of all of Scientology to the world, not just the ethics part. So, uh, so let's talk about Scientology ethics for a minute. You know, Jeff Hawkins has actually written an entire book analyzing the Scientology ethics book and system and the, and the, the various rules and regulations and definitions of it. So I would recommend checking out his book as well. Um, but, but let me just say this. In Scientology, Hubbard defines ethics as a personal thing, something that one does to oneself. Um, whereas justice he defines as the actions taken by a group when an individual fails to get ethics in on himself. So you could look at what the Sea Org is doing as a kind of justice action where they are saying or asserting basically that the world is out ethics and Hubbard would have said that that was the most obvious thing you could possibly say when you look at war and crime and you know and the the, the statistics of of how people treat each other uh, you know stabbings murders I mean you know the robbery all these kinds of things Hubbard would have said you know yeah that's that's people not having their ethics in and therefore we need to move in and help them get their ethics in. And you could 
technically within the world of Scientology call that a justice action. Um, but I think how Scientologists view it and how I sort of would have conceptualized it when I was in was it was a matter of persuasion. It was a matter of education, indoctrination, and you know persuasion. So you have somebody who doesn't, you know, like, like in other words, the assumption is that people don't know any better, or if they do know any better, they can't help themselves because of their reactive mind or their case or whatever, you know, the, the, the problems that they have. And, um, and, their, and especially their reactive mind forces them through pressure, mental stress and pressure, to act in a criminal fashion or act in, a, in an out ethics fashion. And so the purpose of the Sea Org was to kind of move in and go, hey, bub, what you're doing is not cool. We're going to temporarily put a, put a restraint on you so that you cannot do those out ethics things until you have a realization that what you're doing yourself is gross, horrible, and awful, and you need to knock it off, and, and you need to come around to realizing that. So that's sort of the, the way that the Sea Org members approach it. Um, and this can take many, many forms, right? Um, where, uh, where that conversation is had in some fashion or another, and the person still refuses. Now we're talking mainly about Scientologists, of course, because you don't see Sea Org members going down to the ghettos or going down to places where there is you know, rampant criminality and running around getting ethics in on people. They do this within the world of Scientology. That's where Sea Org members have authority. So if they were to, let's say you sent a couple Sea Org members into a, a, a city church, right, uh, Denver, and they, they go in there, and the statistics of the organization are not doing good. Um, so it's assumed, if things are not going well, that ethics is out. Meaning that the people running or staffing that church um, are doing things that are unethical. And they're hiding it, right? They're not talking about it. They're not confessing it. And so the job of the Sea Org is to come in and clean that up. And they get and get ethics in. And there's a thing in the Sea Org and in Scientology called ethics presence. And this is sort of an authority that one assumes uh, where because of, you know, with the Sea Org, because of their uniforms and the symbology of the, of the uniforms and the rank and, and the dedication Sea Org members have, and because of the power that they hold, uh, real power within the world of Scientology, you know, any, if they were to come to you know, this uh, city-level church and start issuing orders and directions to the staff and to public, those staff and public are supposed to hop to and, and do those orders and follow them. So they do have authority. And this is ethics presence. This is like, well, I'm telling you what's right. I'm telling you what to do, and you need to do it, right? Because I, as a Sea Org member, am more ethical than you are. I am making better life choices and decisions than you are because I've dedicated my life to Scientology and you haven't. So uh, you're a Scientologist, you know this is the only road to salvation and spiritual freedom and eternity. So when I tell you that this is what's what, uh, if you wanna keep traveling on this road to spiritual freedom and immortality, you're going to listen to what I have to say and you're gonna consider it and you're gonna change your evil, horrible ways accordingly. That's the ethics presence part of, of being a Sea Org member. 
So, uh, so they, they, they come in and do this, and that's getting ethics in, right? And, and so they don't consider it a justice matter as such. Although this is, you know, there's gray areas here. This isn't a black and white thing, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm kind of getting the concept across here of what Sea Org members do and how the staff and public of Scientology, you know, r responds to that. I was going to say reveres them, but it's not really revere. It's just, uh, that's, you know, that's how they respond. So that is what it means to get ethics in. And Sea Org members intend to do that kind of thing with the entire world. Because it is, make no mistake, it is absolutely the goal of the Sea Org to bring Scientology to the world. Everybody. There isn't anyone that they think doesn't need Scientology. Um, and if you think about it from their point of view, you can kind of see why, right? And, and it's not the Sea Org who is the only group that gets, you know, this kind of attitude. Anybody who thinks that they've found the latest, greatest thing that is absolutely going to revolutionize the world is wanting to bring it to everybody, as many people as they can possibly convince to do it, whether it's a diet fad or whether it's not doing, you know, not giving your kids vaccines anymore or whatever crazy ideas people have out there. They get the idea that everybody needs this and a one size fits all kind of solution. And there are very few things in the world that everybody needs. But there are sure a ton of things out there that people think everybody needs. And so Scientology fits that bill. So they are very much on a mission and a crusade to bring Scientology to the world. And there's one more aspect to this. Hubbard said that if a person is out ethics, in other words, committing crimes or criminal activity or moral transgressions and knowing, knowingly doing so, you cannot get them to respond to Scientology tech. In other words, the more you try to audit the person or teach them Scientology, they won't respond, right? And this is the this this principle in Scientology is kind of an important one because though then you can't audit them, you can't deal with them, you can't bring them Scientology until their ethics is in. And so that's another reason why Hubbard said that was a preliminary step to bringing Scientology to the world one by one, one person at a time. And, um, and this is why, for example, this is one of the reasons this principle is one of the reasons why can, Scientologists can brush off people like me as a critic or ex-member because we're out ethics. I, I am considered to be horribly out ethics by Scientologists because I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I'm talking to you about Scientology without revering it and without telling you how wonderful and great it is, therefore I'm out ethics, you know, therefore because I'm not praising it, I must be doing things that are criminal activities, which of course I'm not, and, uh, and so my ethics is out, and that's why I never responded the right way to Scientology, even though I did it for 27 years, you know, I responded just fine to Scientology. <laughs> But then I went really out ethics, and so that's why I'm here. And this is uh, doing what I'm doing right now, right? And that's what they think about all Scientology critics and ex-members and people who leave Scientology, is they just went out ethics. And this is used quite a bit in the world of Scientology to justify why people aren't praising it or loving it or, or you know, anybody who falls out of uh, affection with it. So anyway, that's the deal with getting ethics in. Irresponsible. 
Insensibly speaking, number 85, you discuss the Scientology definition of responsibility and then also relate it to security checking. I'd like to ask something in that context. Say some transgression is uncovered in a sec check. Cheating, stealing, sex with a member of another species, etc. Then this transgression is dealt with, if I understood it correctly, by telling every little detail about it and eventually accepting responsibility for it, correct? Is it now forgiven? After all, the person is now cool with it, so the next time around, the answer to the interspecies question will be a cold-blooded yes. Do they then just move on, or are the same transgressions discussed again with every new sec check? Security checking is a really big subject in Scientology, so I can't uh, explain the whole thing in just a few minutes, but basically the procedure runs of asking a person a question uh, with the meter, like, you know, looking for responses on the meter, and if the meter does respond to a question, then taking it up with the person and saying, okay, what's your answer to this question of have you ever, you know, stolen an apple, let's say, right, or whatever the question is. Uh, that's a dummy question. They don't ask, have you ever stolen an apple, but it's just used as an example. Um, so if you're asked this question, then you're going to answer it. Yeah, sure. I stole an apple, you know, uh, a week ago. And, okay, great. When, do, when you know, wh what did you do? When was that? Is that all of that? Uh, how did you justify it? Right? In other words, how did you make it okay with yourself and your mind that you do this thing? And who missed it? In other words, who almost found out about it? Who should have known about it? That, that didn't find out about it, right? Oh, well, the guy who sells apples should have known about it, and he, um, and he looked at me funny uh, when I was walking out of the store, and so that made me wonder whether or not he knew, right? This is this whole missed, who missed it, is another Scientology-specific piece of, of security checking. And you get all the people who nearly found out about it or should have known about it or uh, did something to make the person wonder whether or not you know, they knew what you had done, right? That's what's called missing the withhold. And uh, once you get all that, then the meter is supposed to, the needle is supposed to do this kind of thing. It's supposed to float, right? Very idly, gradually, you know, back and forth. And if it's not doing that, then the auditor is going to, the sec checker is going to ask the person, is there an earlier similar overt? Or is there an earlier similar time you stole an apple? And the person will then go, oh, well, let me look and see, right? And if they can't find anything, then the sec checker will say, well, is there any more to this last overt, right? And the person might look and go, oh, well, yeah, also, it wasn't just one apple, it was two, right? Oh, okay, good. And they'll run through the whole procedure again. And if, again, if the needle's not floating on the meter, then the earlier similar question comes up again, right? Is there an earlier similar time you stole an apple? Oh, yeah, well, there was a time I stole an apple, when, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Okay, great. What happened? Good. When was that? What did you know? Is that all of that? Same procedure, right? And they run through the whole thing with that incident 10 years ago. And if, again, if the needle is still not floating, they'll go earlier, similar, earlier, similar. And they will take this chain down and, it, you know, there could be 10, 20 incidents of having stolen apples going all the way back 3,000 years ago, right, to earlier lifetimes when a person stole an apple. And this is how Scientology auditing works and sex checking specifically to, um, to get to earlier lifetimes, right, and recall things from earlier lifetimes, which I now consider to be mostly just, you know, imagination. People are just making the shit up. But at the time, you know, in Scientology, they believe these things, right? And so, um, so that's, that's more technically how the procedure works. 
but once you've gotten the whole thing off, you know, you've, you've, you've answered the question all the way down to the needle floating, the sec checker will say, okay, your needle's floating now. And then they will recheck the question. Uh, you know, have you ever stolen an apple? And the needle is expected to continue to float when asking that question. And if it's not floating, there's a whole series of questions that can be asked to try to see what, you know, to try to get the meter to respond and find out what else is going on here. That maybe there's something else about having stolen apples that the person hasn't confessing and getting that off from the person, right? And again, going through that whole gamut of that whole procedure earlier, similar to FN, to float to a floating needle, which is called an FN. And, um, and then rechecking the question until the needle is floating when the question is asked. Then they go on to the next question on the form of security check questions or sec check questions that are being asked of the person. And that's basically how a sec check is done. Uh, so you can be, end up answering the same question multiple times in the same sec check. But once the needle floats on that question, you're done with it. You, you probably won't be asked about that again um, because you took it to an FN. And in Scientology, they think that's very, very important. Um, and now, if in a later session, you're being asked a similar question, but not the same question, let's say, have you ever stolen a fruit, you know, a piece of fruit, or have you ever stolen food or something like that, where, you know, maybe this is going to come up again. If the needle were to read, if the meter were to respond to that, then you might go back to, well, I, you know, I stole, you know, an apple uh, a year ago. And if it's the same sec checker, if the sec checker is familiar with what you've, you know, already confessed, they might say, well, yeah, you, we've already talked about that. Is there something more to it? We don't know. Because you're not expected to have to say the same overts, the same transgressions over and over and over again. It happens sometimes, but it's not supposed to happen. And if it does come up again and the meter is responding to it, in other words, you're saying, yeah, I stole an apple, you know, a, a year ago and the meter is going ding, ding, ding then the auditor will take your answer and they will go through that whole procedure with you. But, um, but they're not supposed to be, you know, constantly redoing the same, you know, transgressions. Uh, so that's basically how that's, how that's supposed to work. And once you have sort of coughed up all the goods, you know, you're supposed to feel better about it. That's what causes the needle to float in the first place is the person has experienced some relief and some uh, de-stressing and they're actually happy about the whole thing now. Uh, and once that's happened, you don't really have a whole lot of attention on it anymore, you know. And yeah, you are forgiven. In fact, in, in Scientology, there are two ways that you can be security checked. Uh, one of them involves a forgiveness step. And this is uh, when you're being audited, like you're, you know, you're a public person or a staff member. Um, and you're just doing your, your, your bridge to total freedom, all those steps. Well, one of those steps on that bridge to total freedom, on that grade chart, is uh, grade two, which involves a lot of, it has to do with overts and withholds or moral transgressions. And you will be security checked, right? They will be asking you questions and expecting answers on your moral transgressions, and they'll run through that whole procedure. When that's done as a part of routine, regular auditing in Scientology, that's, uh, that's confidential, 
right? It's, it's supposed to just stay in your folder. You're not, you don't then go to the ethics officer after your security check is done and have to answer up and make amends for what you confessed in your sec checking. And when, it's, when the sec check is completed, uh, every question has you know, reached a floating needle. Then there is a step where the auditor says to you, you are now forgiven by Scientology and Scientologists for you know, your transgressions. And the person goes, ah, oh, God, I feel so much better now. Thank you. you know, because it's a big, you know, it's like the you know, spirit of spuminous, spaminous, 20 Hail Marys, and, and we won't talk about this anymore. Um, now, the other kind of sec checking, and the one that you hear about a lot more often uh, from people like me and other ex-Scientologists is, when sec, when sec checking is being done for investigatory reasons, and in those cases, you're being told at the beginning of the, the the procedure is exactly the same, but you're told at the beginning, I am not auditing you. That's what the sec checker says, and so they follow the same auditing procedure, but it's not confidential. Reports are written based on what you've confessed. And you then have to see an ethics officer afterwards in order to make up the damage and make amends for what you did. And this, and after that's all done, again, you're kind of you know forgiven. There's no official forgiveness step, but you once you've done your ethics thing with the ethics officer and you're uh, done your amends for whatever you did, like if you say, yeah, I you know stole ten apples from the grocer, maybe your amends is you go replace those apples and you confess to the grocer, hey, I stole 10 apples a year ago and, you know, here's 10 apples back to you, right, or 20 or whatever. And that would be the investigatory type of sec checking and that gets done when, when you're in trouble uh, within Scientology and it happens all the time. Uh, the entire RPF program that I've talked about is done that way. It's, it's all not auditing you style sec checking where everything you say in the session is actionable, you know, back to you, and you're going to be doing amends for all the things that you cough up to. So that's basically, that's a, that's a whole lot of data, but that's kind of sec checking in a nutshell, and I hope that answers your question. Zieb, what do you think is next up Scientology's sleeve? The Ideal Org program has ground to a complete halt with new Ideal Orgs not happening without a donation from the IAS to finish. Narconon is still mired in legal troubles, and the new boutique, small number of bed Narconons, seem to be having trouble as well. Criminon you never hear anything about, same with Applied Scholastics. The aging membership role is on a steep decline. Obviously, there is the Entertainment District in Clearwater and the upcoming Scientology TV station, but other than that, what do you think Scientology will try next? Well, there's quite a few things that can still be rehashed and rehabilitated and brought back in a new package form within the world of Scientology for David Miscavige to sell to the parishioners and get them to do. There's, the, there's, a, there's many courses and you know, class materials, like there's a whole huge course called the Key to Life course and the Life Orientation course, which are just waiting to be re-released in new packages, and, and those are thousands of dollars a pop. I used to deliver the Key to Life course when I was a supervisor back in Santa Barbara, and it actually was a, a really good course, actually. I'm just going to say it was. I got a lot out of it, but it was, it was not really deep on Scientology indoctrination. It was more about grammar and uh, communication and dictionaries and stuff, and I, and I learned a lot on it. 
So, uh, so that course could be, you know, uh, put back out again. There's the entire gamut of organizational materials that uh, that need to be that when I was in were being gone through and and rehashed and and put together in new form, uh, you know, pure form according to L. Ron Hubbard's instructions. <laughs> Such nonsense. And uh, and that would be a huge. That's a huge project that they're doing that will result in new books and new volumes of policy to train all the uh, organization executives on. So uh, so that's a whole program that, that Miscavige was working on that, that still needs to come to fruition as far as I know. Um, but in terms of Scientology in the big wide world, you know, I'm not really huge on predictions, but I think that Miscavige has definitely got a lot of attention on Clearwater. We know now, uh, since the time you asked this question, that they are... Uh, did not get their way with that Clearwater Aquarium parcel. Uh, I talked about that, in fact, just yesterday with uh, Jeffrey Augustine on my Sensibly Speaking podcast. And so now they're trying to fair game the aquarium people. They're, they're writing bad letters and trying to, to say bad things about the people who work at that aquarium and about the city of Clearwater. And they're apparently boycotting businesses in Clearwater. No Scientologists are shopping there. And so that's not particularly, uh, that doesn't bode well for their future in Clearwater as far as getting along with the city council and with the uh, city itself. I'm sure there's you know, plenty of people within Clearwater who are more than happy to never see a Scientologist again. But, um, but as far as their plans there, you know, they've got a lot of real estate that they've purchased and they're going to renovate that and work on that. And they're going to try to continue to buy up properties there, I think. They're going to get back around to that strategy because I think that they're, um, you know, that, that Clearwater is considered a, a safe haven or the, the, the base of operations for Scientology internationally. Not from a management perspective, but from a, a financial perspective, it certainly is. And maybe from a power base perspective, because um, the San Jacinto, you know, Hemet gold base is uh, that's a management unit, and that's a that's a place where David Miscavige's home is, and or a place where he calls home. Um, but that's where the hole was. There's, there's nothing but you know black PR about that place. Uh, you know, as far as in other words, Scientology's tarnished its good name <laughs> uh, in Hemet, and so I think that uh, Miscavige was trying to you know, get in good with the city in Clearwater and, and try to make something happen there. And of course, he, he looks like he blew it. Um, so it's a little hard to say where his mind's going to go as far as what he should do now, right? But I think that he'll continue to try to make something happen in Clearwater because LA is, is uh, there's no other place in the Scientology world that is viable, Right, Clearwater. I've mentioned before, I think on this show, that Clearwater is the only place where they actually make money. Uh, they make money hand over fist in Clearwater uh, at the Flag Service Organization because that's where they sell their highest level services and new services. And there are also specific Scientology auditing actions and and things that can only be delivered in Clearwater at the Flag Service Org. So people pay a premium price to go there stay in Scientology lodging at their hotels and pay thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to do those services. So it's kind of a unique place in the Scientology universe. And the other Sea Org bases, like the one in Los Angeles, the one in the United Kingdom, 
they're, you know, they're not really strong bases of operation. They're not viable. They're not making money hand over fist. I think they're barely uh, keeping up operational costs. And so that's why I think there's this, you know, pulling in the flippers sort of effect with, with, with drawing back into Clearwater, right? Um, and then there's the TV station. And that's, I've already talked about that at length. I think it's going to be a, a tank. I think it's going to just be, you know, just fall. It's not going to do what the Scientologists think it's going to do, which is, oh, just wait till that TV station opens. Man, it's going to be the best thing ever. And Scientology is going to, the world's going to see how great we are, right? And they, they're just deluding themselves. So basically, I guess in all of everything I'm saying here, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be further interiorization into selling Scientologists more and more services that, that Miscavige can somehow uh, repackage and, and put back together as though it's something new and shiny and different, uh, while they continue to shrink uh, in their membership numbers and their influence and, and uh, power uh, till they're, you know, kind of based in Clearwater and that's going to be all there is to it. That's kind of the direction I see it going in now, unless something changes or there's something I don't know about or, you know, miracle of miracles, they somehow do, you know, get a, a hit with the TV programs and people go, wow, Scientology is really wonderful. But somehow I don't see that happening. Don't know why, but I just mm, don't see it. Nick C. What is the end game for a public Scientologist? Say someone reached the highest OT level. What then? Do they stay involved with the church? If so, how? If not, what happens? Do they just fade away? Well, it's kind of unique for each individual Scientologist as far as how much involvement or volunteerism or, you know, activism they get involved in once they've reached OT8, the top of the Scientology bridge. But for the most part, I think a lot of them just fade away. There's a lot of ex-Scientologists who got all the way up to OT8 and realized this ain't what you guys promised me. And after paying all that money and spending all this time and having to kowtow to all this ridiculousness that I've had to you know, go through and jump through all these hoops, um, they just kind of go, wow, this is not, this ain't it. Um, but for those who do, they're expected to, at, as OTAs, set a good example to the rest of Scientology, encourage other people to move up to where they're at, talk you know, about it, talk about how great it is, pump it up, and um, get involved in fundraising. That's a big thing for the uh, OTAs and for the, the upper level Scientologists, is they're supposed to actually get involved with working uh, with the staff and with the orgs to ensure that Scientology keeps getting bigger and, you know, that sort of thing. And you can see how effective a job they're doing. Um, and also do training, right? A lot of people who get into Scientology pay a lot of money, go and get a lot of auditing all the way up the auditing side of the bridge, but they don't train as auditors themselves. And Hubbard said that that's, you know, 50% of the gains of Scientology are available through its, the education of Scientology by learning it. And so they're expected to do that training. And uh, so, and it's another moneymaker for the church, but it's also a way for them to spend time, you know, continuing to uh, do Scientology. And they can train 
uh, as auditors, technically, there's also administrative training, like those green volumes of all the policies, which I was mentioning earlier, are um, currently being uh, worked on to repackage them and, and, and sell them as courses. So there are lots of services that Scientology offers. And this is also one of the reasons uh, Miscavige made it such a huge deal for everybody to go back down to the bottom and reread all the books, because a lot of people never read the books in the first place, those basic books. And listen to all these lectures, like thousands of lectures from Hubbard. You're supposed to do all of that. So there's a lot of stuff there to do. It takes years, years to get fully educated on everything Hubbard said or uh, wrote and through all those classes and stuff. So even if somebody races to the top of OT8, and it will take you at least two, three years to get there, even if you're you know rich and just throwing money at them. Um, because OT7 all by itself has taken people up to 10 years to do. So it can take a long time to get all the way up to OT8. But once you get there, you know, if you, you're supposed to do all of Scientology. So, you know, and if that, and if you're not into doing that or that, you know, you can become disaffected with it, then people, yeah, people just fade away from it. So, uh, and, I, and I've seen examples of all of this stuff. Wow, okay, it is time for Flash Answers now. This is not a real name. Chris, are you watching the arrangement on E? If not, you should. It's clearly inspired by Scientology and some of its most well-known members, but the characters are not a one-for-one -one match. Yeah, no, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> Sorry, haven't watched The Path, haven't watched the arrangement. Um, just really not super interested. And also somebody told me that the arrangement specifically really, really sucks. So no, haven't checked it out. Robert Drury. What's your end game, bro? Do you want Scientology to be shut down? What about the millions of people it's helped? Thanks for your question, Robert. I hope you are watching this as you are a Scientologist uh, in Australia, I saw from your YouTube channel. And um, yes, my end game is that organized Scientology, the Church of Scientology, is, uh, you know, my, my druthers, if I got my druthers, it would be, yeah, that the Church of Scientology is an organized activity, was no longer an organized activity, because I believe it to be a corrupt organization. And I've got lots of good reasons to think that, uh, as laid out on this channel, and I hope that you avail yourself of the information I provide here. Angus K. When I first heard of Narconon, I got it confused with Nar-Anon, a 12-step program complementary to Narconotics Anonymous for friends and family members of narcotics users in the way Al-Anon is complementary to Alcoholics Anonymous. Is there any reason to believe that Scientology exploits the similarity in the names to get people to come to their program, or is this nothing more than baseless speculation on my part? If it is baseless speculation, I will dismiss the thoughts from my head. Well, Scientology will take any advantage it can to get people, you know, suckered into its programs, but I never heard of anybody specifically uh, who got those things confused and got involved with Narconon thinking they were getting involved with Naranon or something like that. Narconon was never a really huge thing for me during my Scientology experience, so I can't really speak super intelligently about it, but, um, that's, but I never heard of that. But I do know that, you know, they're so desperate for people in the world of Scientology, including in Narconon, that, uh, you know, if somebody were to call them by mistake or contact Narconon 
thinking it was Naranon, I'm quite sure that the, the salespeople would still try to get them involved and wrangled into it. Okay, and that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around. Please leave any comments, questions, uh, feedback of any kind, up, down, or sideways in the comment section below. I love and appreciate all of it. And of course, please consider uh, supporting me on Patreon because that is how I keep the roof over my head, the camera turned on, and me continuing to give you guys uh, the great, informative, educational, and entertaining experience that you get on this channel. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for coming around.